Assalamualaikum everyone, welcome to our second podcast of Pastor Mike's Sisters Book Club. We hope you had a chance to listen to the first podcast which um, was released last week. Um, This is the second one and we're going to be covering chapters 3 and 4 which is Vision and Courage of the book 11 Leadership Qualities That Changed the World by Nabil Al-Azami. Just to give you a brief introduction into who we are, Pastor Mike Sis is a platform, an events platform for professional Muslim women to come together to support, network and just have a chat. Um, we normally have our monthly sessions, however, um, due to the pandemic, this has kind of slowed down a little bit. Inshallah, we'll try and get that running up and running. Um, this book club is a another one of the many things that we do. Um, it's a fortnightly book club held normally on a Wednesday between 6.30 and 7.30. However, we are flexible with our regulars um, depending on their availability. So um, without further ado, um, I would just like to perhaps first of all introduce who I am. <laughs> My name is Ali Kajaba. I'm the founder of Pastor Mike Sis. I'm also an architect and this is one of a a, an event series that, I, um, that came out of me um, trying to venture out and getting to know other Muslim sisters. You can find out more about us on our website, parcelmikesis.com. You can email us if you want to have, if you have any queries or if you want to join future book club sessions at admin at parcelmikesis.com. And please do follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, okay, so today's session we're going to be looking at chapters three and four. Chapter three is um, vision and chapter four is courage. They're both interlinked and what I found um, as we've been reading through these, each of the two chapters that we've been reading every week, they're both in both seamlessly interrelated and they kind of continue um, as as a natural progression. Um, now I'd, I think I'd like the sisters attending to introduce themselves. So here we go. I'm a master's student in psychology. My name is Yasmin. I am a English teacher. I teach secondary school students. Okie dokie. Welcome, sisters, and thank you for attending. Um, so, chap- chapter three, vision. Um, look, when, when I read it, um, I just felt, yeah, uh, it felt like, yes. We know a lot of people who have, who are dreamers, so Basically, if, uh, it's a kind of a leadership skill where you need to be a bit of a dreamer as well. Um, so this one, um, the whole concept of ca- this characteristic is what um, in the author basically starts off with saying it's an aspirate, um this kind of leader is aspirational. So this quality is um, someone who'd like to achieve things, who has an idea to achieve things, long-term um, vision pretty much. And they tend to be the type that have um, a clear, simple direction for their project or their company. They they see where they want to be. They know where they want to be. And yeah, that's pretty, I think that's pretty much in a, in a nutshell what this chapter is about. Um, and I want to direct everyone to page 87, which is the first page where um, the author says, a leader without a clear vision will soon run into trouble and struggle to lead meaningfully, leaving their organisation and people confused about direction and frustrated with the lack of progress. Therefore, having um, knowing your vision is one thing, 
but also being able to communicate it to the people who are working with you is key as well so that goes hand in uh, hand in hand so the idea that the people around you they need to understand what this vision is they need to so i guess there's there's two it's a dual idea one hand is knowing what your vision is and the second being needing to understand what that vision is does that make sense and what do you guys think about this whole what you've read so far on this chapter yeah, I, I mean, I thought that this um, this chapter was really interesting and in that it was so super practical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really like the idea of because I'm I'm a dreamer. You said you said earlier, you know, mm-hmm. being a dreamer, and I'm definitely a dreamer, and I always have kind of vision. But I think what was nice about this is is thinking about your vision in terms of your purpose. And why it's important to have a vision because it gives you a sense of what you're moving towards. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also quite interesting in that it gives you an idea of the importance of having values when establishing vision. So, what is the purpose of that vision? What are your values? How is your vision going to be rooted in those values? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm referring um, to page 91, really, but I, mm-hmm. I realise that's jumping ahead a little bit. Um, but yeah, that idea of kind of vision and how to have a vision in a way that is productive and yeah. helpful and applying day-to-day um, changes so that you can not just have a vision but work towards that vision. Um, so yeah, I thought it was really good. Nana, did you have any ideas? What, what are your thoughts I noticed that purpose is really important because without purpose, there's like I think it does sound dramatic, but there is no meaning to life without like purpose. Like really, why would you wake up if you don't have like a purpose and like you don't know what you're doing or what you're working towards or like have a certain set of purpose? Yeah, I think I think the whole idea of purpose is like linking back to um, our spiritual side. It's not just about um, this what I like about this book is that it's not just about the business side of things and this whole concept of leadership is not just business it's in your daily lives so it's about for example um, one of the notes I was going to come on to it later on but it's the idea that as Muslim women we are naturally in a position of leadership whether it's particularly for those sisters who are at home you are a leader because you're looking after the family. What, there's so many, quali- I think that's something that we tend to forget. We judge women either because they are not at home and they're outside doing jobs. And at the same time, we're all also judging the women who are not going outside, but actually staying at home and looking after the family and the house. So I believe, and I think many people will agree with me, is that, women are in a position and Islam actually it, it's very ingrained in Islam I think many of us tend to forget that even I I'm going to put myself there as well that women have such an important role to play in a family life <clears throat> because they are natural leaders they are um, I know um, this book is saying that um, leadership can is something that you can learn but at the same time it's some people I think, Yasmin, you, you talked about it last time, that for some people it is quite a natural skill. Lead, they are, some people are natural-born leaders, but it, at the same time, you can also learn it. 
learn the skills that you need. And as women, we have that natural instinct to lead people because you're when you're at home, you're looking after your family, you're looking at making lists, shopping lists. You need to you need to make sure that the the house is stocked full of goods, whether it's toiletries, whether it's food, whether it's just basic things like linen and things that we take for granted. I know I know it's probably something um everyone's probably going to be like what the hell is she talking about? But um it's true. I mean, if you look at the domestic life, you have to be so organized and so you really have to be on the and all these and organizing children and keeping them entertained, looking after the husband, keeping him entertained, mother-in-laws, father-in-laws, extended family, siblings, it's time to get making sure that everyone has a piece of you. So a woman by nature is able to do all these things. So when we're looking at this book, we need to remember that we're also, our sisters are also great leaders because they're looking after the families. And, and also our brothers, don't forget our brothers, because our brothers are also doing this. And some, some, I don't know, depending on your perspective, because there are some brothers and sisters who are going outside and doing a job but they're also coming home and looking after the family. This is brothers and sisters, by the way, so I'm not going to say sisters do everything, da-da-da-da-da. There are also brothers who do everything, da-da-da-da-da, as well. Um, comparatively, it's probably questionable, and that's another topic in it, in on itself, so I'm not going to go there. But do, do you guys get what I mean? I mean, it's something um, definitely... I think I want to come back to and talk about it in more depth in Courage chapter, because that's what it is. But I'm... Um, just for, I, I don't know, but I also think it's good for the vision because a woman, when she's looking after the family and she's doing the shopping, she, she's thinking long term. Okay, so if I get this, this, for example, if you're buying clothes, kids grow, outgrow clothes very quickly, right? So a mother is generally, generally going to say, well, if I buy the right age, this child is going to outgrow it within a few months. If I buy something that's slightly bigger they'll grow into it so that piece of clothing will last longer and I will balance my economy, my money, it'll be like well, money well spent. So um, yeah, so in a way women are naturally looking in the long term, they're, they are visionary because they're seeing the future, they're, they're predicting, they know their family, they know their people that they're around a lot so they can actually, I don't know, plan for the future, start organising things and I know some sisters are going to say, well, what the hell is she talking about? It's a struggle. <laughs> We're struggling. Again. But, you know, it's just, it's, again, it's all about perspective. For them, they're probably thinking that some of them, some of the sisters who probably will think, oh, my God, I'm, I'm so, I feel really rubbish. But then how someone else sees that her will be very different to how she thinks she is. Do you know what I mean? Because we are always our worst critic. You know what you guys think? You can disagree with me if you want. Feel feel free. Women are the first teacher for their children as well. So, like, in that sense, they're also, like, a leader. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. I think what is more important when it comes to the future than the future generation of children that the women bring into the world in either way, whether, you know... In any scenario that a child comes into the family, naturally or any other way, mm. the woman is becomes you know the person who nurtures that that future generation, and they always have um, 
a future kind of outlook or view on what that child is hopefully going to grow like and like you said short-term things like what they need to eat tomorrow and when they need to prepare their school uniform and when they need to have all of these things done for the year and you know time management and you know send take that one to the football club and take that one to the whatever it is but I'm this class and that in the other room come back in time for making lunch so that they can grow and then thinking about their health and thinking about their education and making sure that they're reading and all of this all of this the only reason for it is for the future yeah and we're carrying that future and forward and 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 that vision is always so important you know they mother no one knows a person better than their mother and their mother always knows their characteristics and their personality they always say oh you're going to be a lawyer and you're going to be a doctor and my child is really good at this and my child is, my child is brilliant at art and blah 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 and they, they know I mean they boast about it sometimes to the point of really annoying their <coughs> teachers <laughs> but you know it's true they, 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 they usually do have that vision and they can see for some reason how they look into their child's face and can see and visualise what yeah. they're going to be that exact same quote um noted um because like like you said there's no point having a vision if there is no one else to see it and that's the whole point with a great leader someone who's able to communicate their vision so that people um it says on that 
many people will be drawn to leaders and organisations because of their vision and mission. So if you want to recruit the right um, candidate, they need to understand your company and they need to not only understand the company, they need to be um, the most successful um, employees, employees work, who work together are the ones who sh have the shared vision and understand it. So they're all um, working together to... Um, um, I had this I, I had this idea of this um, analogy to this the best way to describe it is the clock in order for a clock to work there are so many mechanisms in that behind the scenes from what we see all we see at the end is a clock hand at just kind of telling us the time but in order for that simple function to happen there are so many little mechanisms in the actual clock mechanism so many cogs connecting one to the other and um, alarm setting off and all of this there's so so much that everyone in a company has their little place everyone in a family has their place no one it's not a competition it's about just doing your part for in enabling that the mechanism to work smoothly and the times to come out at the right time <laughs> I apologize for that little <laughs> unintentional use of um, phrases but I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. It's the idea that everyone's got a, a piece to play to make that final thing work and yeah. everyone to see the final outcome. But if yeah. people don't know what that final outcome is and if that final outcome is not clear, then people don't understand their own purpose. They don't exactly. understand their own place and then nothing yeah. works as efficiently as it could. If everyone can have that, okay, guys, we're coming up to two o'clock. <laughs> you, you need to spin. You need to work fast. <laughs> Otherwise, we're not going to get there. And we need that ding yeah, to happen. <laughs> that ding. We need for that ding so everyone knows it's two o'clock. Yeah, exactly. uh, if, if nobody knows, someone's thinking, what is it? Is it not going to, what's going on? Is it, is it on my mind? Should I really speed it up? And they go, no, no, not yet. And, oh. and for the millennials out there, yes, there were clocks that used to exist that are not digital. So these non-digital analog clocks have lots of cogs and there's lots of things going behind the scenery. And in the, for the, the digital clocks, there's a lot of um, bots, digital bots and whatever it is, the digital version of it. There's so many things going on, coding and whatever. Every little piece, every little code plays its part. So hopefully I've catered to all the millennials as well who don't know what this... Um, analog clock business. Exactly. Who's this old what person? <laughs> They're probably twitching. Their eyes are probably twitching. What? 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 <laughs> oh, no. All right. Okay. I excuse. I'm sorry for that little stereotype. But anyway, <laughs> well, that was my little clock an an an, an, an analogy. So yeah, everyone's got their play to part and. A great leader is one who can communicate. I think that the key thing is communication, making sure they they enable the way they communicate. It in in is a way to inspire people. So w one of my other notes was I think it's there's a quote um, further on where where I've, um, the idea is. I think Hannah said it uh, um, uh, uh, earlier about. Um, 
At the bottom of page 88, one of the deeper reasons why vision can be so powerful is because of its ability to fulfill people's innate yeah. desire to have a purpose in life. Yeah. Something along those lines um, that the best visions have, you know, they, they connect people on a much more deeper spiritual level, that there's a value at its core. Yeah. Um, that it's not just a practical purpose that we can just like keep ourselves busy with. In the meantime, in the dunya, there's supposed to be some kind of a deeper spiritual satisfaction that's supposed yeah. to come from it at the end. Um, which I thought was really, really interesting as well because what, finding a purpose, that's one of the things that most people these days struggle with, right? Everyone's always trying to find their purpose. They don't know what their purpose is. And you know, it's so interesting because it links to what you just said actually about your wonderful clock, clock <laughs> analogy, both dialogue and analogue. <laughs> that I think the issue we're finding today in a lot of um, our communities is that people are trying to find their independent purpose. It's what am I supposed to do? Yeah. What, you know, how am I supposed to change the world? You know, how am I going to be the next Martin Luther King, the next Mal Malcolm X? Am I going to be the next one person that's going to have my name all the way, you know, all in this in these history books about how I'm going to go down in history? And there's not enough conversation about what is our purpose as an ummah? What are we as a community moving towards? And mm -hmm. how do you... How is everyone going to play a part? Where are the teachers? Where are the scholars? Where are the the architects? Where are the you know? Where are the people that are going to help build our industries and build our communities and raise our children and educate our people and you know establish all the things that we need as an ummah to come together to have a purpose? There is apps. I don't know if it's just my community, but there, I don't get the sense of that anymore. There's, there's a lot yeah. of soul searching individual soul searching happening and i think that is having a real hindrance on people's vision because yeah. it's not about us independently i mean ultimately it is we you know we're born alone without taking such a grim turn to this but <laughs> born alone don't die alone it is all going to be alone but in the end and this is so, so this is so interesting because this is something that i always it's a personal thought that i always go back to that on Yom Qiyamah Allah will ask us or Day of Judgment God will ask us what did you do for my Ummah like you and your purpose within the community what role did you play um, and I think as a community we need to kind of come together a little bit and think about what our vision is because I think we're all a bit <laughs> that means like obviously there are wonderful people out there doing wonderful yeah. things but and it's hard because we Subhanallah, we've become such a big ummah <laughs> all across the world. It's hard to bring that many people together <laughs> and have one, one, one plan and one vision. I, mean, I think it's, it's as hard it, as it is trying to, trying to decide on one thing to eat for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> is that purpose? I think it's just having that. It's not only having the purpose, but it's also creating that. Um, what he says here. This is why the best visions are those which connect with people at a deeper emotional level, especially their values and things that things they deeply care about. It is hence more in, hence more important to have universal values shaping one's vision in order for it to have wider appeal. So in order for um, to do just that, your vision you need to be able to not only communicate but find a way that it makes it relevant for everyone. So it's a not just 
it's not like you said um like you both have been saying it's not just about your own self it's it's an outward looking vision rather than an inward looking vision because when we for i think for all of us what we need to think is what the benefit it is what benefit it will be for us as individuals because each of us are individually like you said we will be answerable to what contribution we individually have made because no one else is going to be there to answer us and um, we'll be there on our own so we need to be able to be confident enough to for us to be able to say i've done this 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 and this but at the same time as a community what have we done what ha what is our contribution to the community and how has the community um benefited um and that community is not necessarily um the muslim community it's the non-muslim community as well but i think that's something that we all tend to forget is we need to live with everyone allah is going to judge us how we treated everyone just like our prophet the way he treated everyone regardless of what they believed where they lived who they were he treated everyone with the same level of respect yeah so um a great visionary leader is is one i think linking to um what you you said you were jumping on to on page 91 it's this chapter is pretty much um a practical one i found because it's about taking what you're thinking and just having an, an action plan to take it forward so it's basically taking your dream and making it a reality and the idea is you need to work hard it's not it's not just about having a vision you need to be able to <laughs> you need to be able to make it a reality and in order to make it a reality you need to have a a team around you who understand that vision so we what we were just talking about you need to be able to make people understand and connect with people so that they are inspired and they want to work with you so one quote i had or idea i had was that um the leader has to has to have a, a vision to inspire and encourage people so not only do they understand but they're actually on board with the vision and they want to make this vision reality so the most successful teams are the ones that you can have differing differing um, personalities and differing outlook in life but that specific vision to do this specific task or this specific project you all need to work together and have that kind of um determination to see it through and want to see it through um and i think as a leader you need to be able to organize all of this so on um just for um sake of people listening in um on pages 90 and 91 we've got a chart so which kind of sets out your basically it helps organize so if the idea is if you want to start a project if any kind of project i think this would actually work for it it's like a plan of action to kind of get you thinking to organize your thoughts and just plan your planet basically so you've got this pyramid and at the top of the pyramid is the values and that is your aspirational side of things aspirational visions and um this is your that's your target that's where you want to be and it's this is why you want to do it so with values it's what do we stand for so it's all about the ethics the principles and beliefs and that majority majority of time that is your kind of your core it's 
what the core of your business identity, your company identity, or individual identity, brand identity, that's a better word. That's what that's what you stand for. That's what people um, know you for. And then uh, under that under that is the vision. And the, the whole idea about the vision is where are we going? What do we do? What do we aspire to achieve? So the values is basically what you stand for. And based on your values, you have a vision. And that vision is basically it's kind of saying this is where what we want to do. It's all about, all about your hopes and your ambitions. And underneath that is your mission. In order to do get achieve that vision what do we do and who do we do it for so this one is all mission is all about the motivation and the purpose so that's what your mission is. when we have a mission statement that's your purpose of what your company what your company or your brand is doing and then in order to do all of the above you need to have strategic objectives so it's basically look planning plan creating a plan with goals and sequencing so it's how are we going to do this how are we going to progress so that's your overall 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 from my understanding is that these are your overarching strategic strategy to kind of get from a to b whatever your plan is and then underneath that are the actions and key what's it the key i've written it down uh kpis um key performance indicators so this is basically what do we have to do how do we do how do we do it and how do we know that we, we're going to um, achieve these goals? So it's basically the actions, um, the tasks that we need to do, the timeframes, who's going to own that task, how are we going to resource it, what are the what various things that do we need, and what are the outcomes. And the whole the key key performance indicators are the ones that will kind of tell you. Will kind of um hopefully I've explained this correctly. Um um so if you guys want to jump in and kind of correct me um clarify clarify this but the key performance indicators are basically there to check in have you achieved what you wanted to achieve what's worked what hasn't worked and what can be done better basically so that's what this chapter kind of starts to do and it uses the prophet as an example of how he did it so he's basically throughout the book he's a case study he's the underlying case study of how he implemented all of this yes we can't hear you you're on mute <laughs> um, I had a few interruptions, so I didn't want it to, to go over um, what you were saying. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of saw it as like a measure of effectiveness of mm-hmm. how good your vision is, yeah. really. It's, well, okay, well, if you've got um, any key performance indicators and you've got actions in place, if you have a plan, yeah. then that's great. That's like, okay, your vision is likely to happen because you've taken the first step. Then do you have um, a sequence to that? Do you have a goal? Have you set specific targets? Okay, this is now becoming more likely to take place. Is there a mission? Do you have a motivation? Is there a purpose to it? What is the outcome for the whole entire vision? Um, And then it's the vision. Do you have hope? Do you have ambition? Does it seem like it's likely? Do you have the drive? And then, again, that's becoming, like, really, really uh, likely to to, uh, come to fruition. And then if it's got those values, if you're ensuring that every step of the way when you are planning, when you are um, uh, sourcing resources or making resources, when you're putting together timeframes, are you considering your values and your principles? If the answer is yes, then the likelihood of your vision happening is is really, really, really strong. So there's kind of like a level of effectiveness. And obviously, all of them are important. Again, 
some people, and I feel like I definitely fall into this category, is sometimes I'll have a vision and I'll have the values attached to that vision. So I'll say, okay, this would be a really lovely idea and it's usually very idealistic and probably something that's never going to happen and I'm just dreaming and I'm saying, oh, because these values are great, wouldn't it be great if we could have all of these values again? Um, and then I'll just kind of, rant about it a little bit and then and then go back to my day-to-day life I don't put in the action and this and the strategy and I don't form a mission from it you know a mission is a bit of a strong word I feel like there's you know not a plan and a strategy I don't get people together and say okay this is my vision let's put things in place you know the, I think the best resources especially when it comes to vision is people because and I think that's a key part of having good vision as well is understanding that Yes, I have a clear idea of what I'd like for the future, but also that there is a value in what other people's contribution will be to that, and perhaps, you know, they will make my vision even better. Um, and again, it's about community, being community-minded and, and allowing everyone to have that value, um, and that it's, it's more likely to have an impact on more people and therefore more likely to succeed. I did find it really interesting as well, carrying on from that, I think, page 91. It kind of gives you a step-by-step guide then of yeah. how to ensure that you're implementing all of that. And I found step one really interesting because, again, when we talk about vision, it's always about forward thinking. It's yeah. about the next step. It's about 20 years down the line. It's about the future generation. But actually, um, the first step of having vision is having a clear understanding of current affairs and knowing what the situation is at the moment. Yeah. And in the next few pages, it talks about the effectiveness of the Prophet Sallallahu in in terms of having his vision. And a lot of the references that they make is 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 the current situation, his understanding of the current situation and how he reacted in that day. You know, his mm-hmm. in terms of being a um, a dutiful, kind loving person who understood who had integrity who had moral credibility on a day-to-day basis because he understood the situation that the people were living in at the time and even before he became uh, before he received his prophethood um and and it talks about reviewing history and records and data that is currently existing and i think that is really important sorry yeah i don't know if, if that's kind of a relevant thing to to touch up on. Yeah, so, um, did what were your thoughts on this? So, in terms of like vision, obviously we need strategy and stuff, but in strategy, I think one of the things is to listen to others, like in yeah. your team, and one of the examples, like going back to page, let me just find it. So, like, it's not specifically about the Battle of Trench, like, where Prophet Muhammad was listened to, like, someone who first I think. Yeah. About the digging in the Yeah. So, it goes to show that it's not about being egoistic, and you should listen to, like, the good um, opinions of your teammates so that you can take help and, like, fulfill the vision, yeah. like, your plans yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's a point I also had as well because a, a great leader is one who can actually take advice, and it's knowing. I think we covered it in the previous chapters where um, com- in, it's a competent leader, it's someone who can actually understand, and it's also connected to this as well. To be honest, um, the what's the page ninety one was it? Yeah, page that 
that literally that SWOT analysis and the step one that you were just talking about, Yasmin, where you need to know your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats, right? So you might not, as a leader, you're not going to know everything. Um, you've got a, a vision and you want to do something, but you might not have all, everything that you, all the skill sets that you need to implement it. So you need to build a team around you and you need to take the advice. Someone who's actually really good at something, you need to be able to trust that person and I think that's something that is also within this chapter. At, um, I think it's the it's courage. Actually, it comes up in courage, um, but the idea, the trust in the people around you. So what you've just said, that example, he he knew that person who suggested building a, a trench. He was he he that person had credibility because he probably uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, this person who suggested it. He did it in, he had a similar idea on another, something that they worked on in the past and that what, that he had that, I think he had, um, he had, he had experience of using this idea of the trench somewhere else and it worked. So the prophet understood that and because of, he knew of the success and the background of this concept, that is how he knew that was the right thing to do because he saw the vision that if he, He's able to foresee the future, how building the trench would help the would help um, his troops, his his team, his army. And I think that it is like you said. You need to not be. You don't. You need to let go of egos. You can't be egoistic, being a visionary leader because you, your vision might need some tweaking. You might need to. It's not a dead set thing. It's always continuously improving and it will develop over time as more people come in and it, and the idea is it's not weakening it's strengthening by this additional tweaking of the vision you're just fine-tuning it you're not completely changing it you're just kind of um perfecting it molding yeah. it in a more kind of amenable amenable and kind of connecting with people and i think that's the key thing yeah, I agree with you. Uh, and actually, on page 96, it has a really nice point that adds on to that. Mm-hmm. Um, an organisation, it's page 96 after it's uh, after the uh, subheading Foresight and Strategy yeah. um, from Um An organisation continually adapts to meet the changing demands of its environment and exploits opportunity in pursuit of its core purpose, so mm-hmm. enhancing its chances of long-term survival and success. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because it's about reading the room, isn't it? It's about understanding what the current circumstances are, understanding who it is that's around you, and mm-hmm. adapting your vision so that it firstly suits the current circumstances yeah. and um, applying the knowledge and the skills of the people that are around you. Yeah. Um, and I think that is, that's a really important skill to have when it comes to vision. Yeah. Um, and it really links to what he did when it cut with the professor so um, when it comes to especially these really tricky situations where he he knew and understood that okay I have a vision but at this point my vision needs to shift a little bit because this is currently what is the best thing to do that doesn't mean that in the long term my vision changes, the vision is still the same to establish the same ideals but that at this point what works for people um, will be this new kind of um, route alright Okay, um, right, yeah, I, yeah, so at the same time, um, 
Yeah. So leaking on with that, it's just you're not only listening, but you're also um, understanding that it's not all going to come together in one go. Um, you need to work hard. It's um, the idea of implementing and being practical is that um, it's not you can't just be a dreamer and all of these plans and actions and um, key performance indicators with, for your strategy. Um, you need to work hard to be able to implement it. So it's not just a case of, oh, I've got a dream. <laughs> it's how you do it, being realistic about it and finding a way to make it a reality. Um, and if you link it back to um, how, how you're implementing and connecting it with the spiritual side, it's like doing the hard work but also praying to Allah um, and not relying on one or the other entirely so it's not just about working hard and forgetting Allah and at the same time it's not just praying and not doing anything about it you actually have to work hard at it and the, pro um, the prophet I think it's what's um, on page 98 the idea that of the camel um, I think it was I think it's an example that is used previously as well where this guy um, was asked about um, why are you leaving a camel there he said, "Well, I, I'm just relying on Allah. Allah will keep the camel, cam, Allah will keep the camel safe." Well, the, someone said to him, "Well, well, don't you need to tie that camel down? You need, you also need to make an effort there." So he'd go. <laughs> the idea is, you can't just leave the camel. The camel could easily go. Allah might might decide, "Well, the camel is free to go. Why are you tying it up? If you want the camel and you need to take care of the camel, you need to tie it up. Keep it. You do you need to do your bit as well?" Yes, rely on Allah, by all means do that. But at the same time, you need to work hard to make sure that you're doing something about whatever it is you need to do. And this example is a camel, is your asset. You need to look after it. Do something about it. Don't just rely on Allah. You need to actually do, water it, feed it, and do something about it. That's so one I think, of the nicest things I think about this book. Yeah, it, it puts hand in hand practicality with belief. Yeah. You, you believe in Allah, you trust in Allah, but you also put in the practical things in place to ensure that you are attempting to be as successful as you possibly can be. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's the that's double That's pretty much how I wanted to bring that in. And he also, um, the two, I think I actually really like the two quotes he ends that chapter with. Um, the first one was. Um, how uh, Mandela's vision, Mandela's quote, he, um, he basically said, action without vision is only passing time. Vision without action is merely daydreaming. But vision with action can change the world. And I think that's quite important to remember. The idea to work hard and have that faith in Allah. Having them both at the same time, you need to do both. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you. I mean, he always, he also at the end, towards the end of the chapter, talks about communication and the importance of communication because you did mention it earlier. Yeah. And I think um, people often really undermine. This is kind of the English teacher and me coming out a little bit. Yeah. Um, the importance of having the right words and using the right words and thinking carefully about how you're going to put your vision into words in a way that is clear, in a way that is distinct, yeah. that in a way that is approachable for people. I mean, you mentioned earlier the fact that 
as Muslims, we also have a responsibility of bringing together our community with other communities. Yeah. And I think at the moment, more than ever before, the ha- having the right narrative, putting things into the right words, mm. because things can be so easily misconstrued. And, and when things are misconstrued, the vision gets lost amongst, yeah. you know, and someone with a really good... Um, intention can just yeah. get lost with kind of bickering and, and, and misunderstandings and people, you know, taking a vision and turning it into something, you know, in in worst case scenario, heinous and ugly and, and not re- realising the kind of intentions behind. So the communication yeah. um, is really important um, and it's important to bear that in mind that if you are at a point where you want to make your vision known and you want to start bringing people in that you need to spend a lot of time um, and consideration on what kind of a narrative you need to portray that that vision and how it's going to make it clear and how people are going to be able to take that and make it applicable sorry in a way that is first practical and too true to the actual values of your vision yeah. So I think it's really apt that he kind of ends it on that note. Like, okay, considering all of these things, yeah. <laughs> make sure that you are, <laughs> you know, um, thinking about how to communicate your vision. Because there's, no, yeah. there's no point really of having a vision if it can't go beyond your exactly. skull, right? Yeah. If it stays in your head yeah. and it's not communicated in a way that makes it come into, a, into fruition or in a way that's productive and helpful and true to your exactly. actual vision, then there's really no point <laughs> in the having the vision <laughs> and it's a good point that he said that um the prophet would just have would only speak for 20 minutes because that's how long people's attention spans are and I thought, well yeah <laughs> that is true so it's it's making me question the length of this podcast it's like is are you guys still listening <laughs> wakey wakey <laughs> So I'm hoping you guys are still kind of beginning. Have like twenty minute breaks. Yeah. And at this point, I will I will just say the reason why you can only hear myself and Yasmin is our sister Henna. She's having internet problems, so um, we've kind of lost her at the moment. But she, you, she might. I'm hoping, inshallah, her internet improves so she'll come back and join us because. Um, the more perspectives we get on this, the better, to be honest. Um, just getting everyone's ideas on board makes it more inclusive and more enjoyable. So um, the case study for this chapter was Mahathir Mohammed. Um, he's a prime minister of Malaysia. And what I liked about his case study is that he... he one thing about this... Um, one I think one thing we didn't actually cover is in this chapter we talked... Um, the author talks about a, a visionary leader being someone who actually um, uh, actually I'm getting mixed up with the next chapter ignore me there but the, the idea that he despite all the options and, and the challenges that he faced that a visionary leader sticks to um, his or her guns and actually is, direct, is very focused in where they are very focused in where they want to be and what they want to achieve and the idea with um, the Malaysian Prime Minister is he had the vision to develop Islamic finance and, and, the, uh, and the halal industry standards. And he wanted it to be not just in Malaysia, he wanted to, it to reach the world. And alhamdulillah, look where we are right now. Um, there's so many halal sta- um, guidance and there's so, so many um, products, services out there 
for us to um, for us to kind of purchase that are um, that are in parallel and in sync with our Islamic principles. And I feel we um, we have we owe it to this Malaysian Prime Minister and his team who actually worked hard to kind of pass it through. Um, so it's basically um, the main thing in this case study is that he had the vision to make his country independent and rise out of the global financial crash in two thousand back in 2008. Um, he had strong oppo opposition from a lot of the countries, especially the US. Um, so initially he complied with everyone, so he was going along with everyone to do what everyone else is doing, but it didn't work. His country kept making loss, making losses and losses. So he thought, you know what, that's it. Enough is enough. He went independent and had their and use their own strategy to kind of get their own get the country out of the economic crash uh, economic crash and they were the fastest grow fastest south southeast asian country to come out of the crisis and that in itself says a lot so he was a he had the i think he had the courage and the belief in the vision that he had to go out alone and just do it and get a team around to support him, and the and he had the conviction to kind of implement it as well. So the idea of not following the crowd, because sometimes following the crowd only makes your situation worse. You actually have to break. You have to kind of evaluate the situation and think: Is this good for good for? Is this really good? What everyone's doing, or do I need to do something different to kind of break the chain? And that's what he did. And I think that's why he's um, an example. What do you think, Yasmin? What What did you get from this case study? Honestly, I don't think I can really add much to what you yeah. said. I, I agree with you. I, um, and that's really all of the notes that I um, I made, to be honest. Mm. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the, it's the same point. And I, I think every session we need to let you kind of have a, a good fangirl <laughs> about someone. <laughs> every, every session is kind of one person that you advocate and, and say that they're you know, really um, positive, and, and I think this idea of what um, Malaysia has done and how it's pos uh, uh, positive. Yeah. Um, That's what yeah, I like I'm just about kind this of scrambling book. for words now because you pretty much said most of what I wanted to say. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing that maybe. <laughs> It's good that um, we have the same thoughts because that's what this book is doing. It's making you appreciate um, what the key key points to take out were, and the fact that we actually did take out the same points is it's all credit due to the author for um, writing it in a way that is very successful. Because I think this whole um, the way the books each chapter is structured, um, as a reminder to our readers who might who may or may not have. Um, been reading this book along with us or or this might be the first one that you've heard basically the author um, organizes each chapter so you've got he introduces the whole theory of what this characteristic is explains it uses um, the life of the prophet وسلم, as an example he's over he's obviously um, this book is basically called Muhammad وسلم, 11 leadership qualities of um, that changed the world. It's basically all about him, but what he, this author, really also does, just to make it relatable to us, is to use case studies, examples of leaders who, in this world, in our contemporary, our contemporary world, who in who are, who um, 
it, the best person to as a role model for that particular um, characteristic. So for Vision, it, it was um, yeah. the pro Malaysian Prime Minister. And after the case study, he ends the chapter with like tips how to be more visionary, how to be more um, courageous, how to be more competent, or show these skills, how you can improve, how you can um, gain these skills. And I think it's very practical. So it's it's... This book is kind of like a um, guide, in a way, to become a better leader. So one um, one thing I didn't introduce in this in this podcast, which we introduced in the previous, is that we've we've got this um, worksheet where we have the, this wheel of all the eleven leadership qualities and rated ourselves from one to ten for each of them. And on page uh, in the back of the chapter. On page two hundred thirty-four, you've got when you add up all these, um, uh, each of the qualities, the total being one hundred and ten. Um, um, the author gives four different types of leader, leader leadership levels, and it's a way to for you to develop yourself. So um, these tips help to help you improve um, your visionary um, visionary skill set. So in order to be a better visionary leader, these are the tips tips so what I took on from it is like the first one being reflect on your own values what is important to you have that un an underlying thing understand what that is and then use um he says in here which he doesn't really talk about in the chapter but smart goals as a practical means of kind of setting out um what you're how to um how to achieve everything so smart meaning specific measurable achievable relevant and time bound. So the idea is it being practical way for you to um, implement things. And I think this can be used for across all everything. So it doesn't have to be on your professional level. It can be uh, your personal life. Very personal goals you've got. Use the smart goals to kind of help you kind of make it a reality. So you're not just being a dreamer. You're actually coming down to earth and actually going out and doing it. It's just being accountable. Another thing is having an account. Um, having a buddy to hold you accountable so depending on how you want to do it if you have monthly goals or oh, I want to do this much by um, within the next month have someone who will hold you accountable have monthly meetings with that person just to, to kind of um, check in and see have you have you achieved it have you done what you need to do and what have you got so far um, and if, if you haven't what's worked what hasn't and what could be done better so it's 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 that kind of thing and he, the author brings back the whole concept that leadership is 80% nurture and 20% nature. So talking about it's something that can be learnt and you can grow into it. And it's not something that everyone is born with. I mean, some people are natural. I'm going to, I'm going to, I am going to say, yeah, some people are natural. I do believe some people are natural leaders. Um, and you can see it every day. Um, maybe... Perhaps they've been nurtured in a way to become leaders, but some people have that natural instinct to do it. I don't know. What do you think? I, I really like the fact that, um, I mean, I completely agree with you. I, I stick by the fact that I, I really do believe that some people are natural leaders. They are natural leaders. but um, And it's something that I really say to my students on a day-to-day -day basis, really. Like, there are some students in the class that um, pick up the English a lot easier, that pick up the work that we do a lot easier, and they kind of, they have this natural ability. But 
that does not always determine the outcome at the end when they do their grade, when they do their exams and they get their grades. Actually, the, the, the students who have worked hard consistently throughout um, will sometimes end up with the same, if not a higher grade. So it's, it is a mixture of both. I think some people have a natural ability yeah. and they themselves will have to work on other aspects. Like some people have great you know, leadership qualities and they have brilliant vision, but they're not great people. They don't have great people skills or, you know, uh, um, so it's about recognising your weaknesses no matter where they are Um, and and also identifying your strengths. So if you consider yourself like I do to not be a natural leader, um, just just not to be overwhelmed by that idea and to think, okay, well, then, you know, I reject the concept of ever being a leader, but to then just be really practical about it and say, okay, so what are the skills that I need to and become more of a leader and just and just address it and just take it step by step and address it and I think what's really nice about the tips that they have on on this page um, 101 is that the first tip it begins with reflecting on yourself first you just need to have a clear understanding of your values mm. um, understanding of who you are um, firstly before you start thinking about what your vision is then you start to think, okay, well, who are the other people that I'm looking to? So finding inspiration in other people and what qualities do they have? And then thinking about what you just said about, you know, leadership and 80% nurture and 20% nature. What qualities do they have? What qualities do I have? Then starting to put practical things in place to change those. And then the vision steps into it. Then, then you can start to think, okay, what can I do now? Let me start monitoring my progress. Let me start setting goals. Let me have someone step in and be accountable. But I, but firstly, it's about thinking about who you are, what your values are. And again, it goes back to what we said earlier about values being the core of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it ends with, you know, finding organisations that you can um, gain inspiration from, um, and really starting to think about how you can, you know, recruiting people that hold the same values, that have skills that perhaps you don't possess, and um, so that you can see their value in your company, in your vision, or whatever it is that you're trying to put together. Um, yeah, that's it, really. I think yeah. it, it's, re- I, I just noticed that kind of progression and the focus on yourself first, yeah. um, which I think is always the starting point in one of these chapters. It starts yeah. off with first, just some kind of reflection on on the definition of the word and how it may apply to you yeah. and reflect on it personally before we can start. And then it's, it's funny that that actually is the step-by-step, like you were saying, this, yeah. this, the way that the, the chapters are organised, thinking about yourself, reflecting on that definition, what does that mean to you? And then, you know, what did the Prophet Salaam do? What inspiration can we take from that? And now how does it relate to the, our current affairs and what are the practical steps that you take place? But it always really starts with you just kind of so chapter four is called courage um and like what yasmin like yasmin said it it always starts with the individual and start with yourself first what are your beliefs where are you at um and courage is all all about self-belief confidence and controlling one's fears um and knowing the surrounding dangers and challenges but kind of finding a way to kind of overcome it so that you need to be quite courageous to be able to kind of come out of that and in each chapter the author starts off with um like Yasmin was saying defining what courage um, each of these um, 
characteristic. So, for example, <coughs> um, excuse me, um, with courage, um, he uses the Webster dictionary to kind of define what what courage is. So it's um, he summarizes it in 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 a in a couple of paragraphs, basically say ability to act in spite of danger or fear, accepting responsibility, going against the grain and breaking traditions, reducing the boundaries and, and finding a way to initiate change, going out of one's comfort zone, speaking up and not being afraid to ask relevant questions and create new um, thought, um, thought threads of thought. And it's also about fighting for beliefs and one's principles. So it's not it's a not being afraid to just use your voice and being confident in your own um, in your own thoughts and in in your own beliefs and just kind of just <clears throat> just doing. What did you guys think about this? Uh, the definition of what courage is. Hannah. Hannah, do you want to start? Okay. No, I think uh, from like one of Men have been welcomed into them 
workplace war and that women and people in this situation would be found like they need to justify themselves a lot more, they need to prove themselves a lot more, or is that something that we think is an innate thing that we have? In, I, I don't know, really. That's kind of like a question to throw out there. Um, uh, the trust, courage, trusting others, letting go of the need to control situations is definitely the kind of trust that I said to myself, I do not have. I am a control freak. <laughs> I am a micromanager. I, think I, I mentioned this last time. I'm a micromanager and very yeah. much do it on my own. Um, I don't know that I can, you know, I, 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 I'm, and that's really unfortunate, actually. It's something that I really need to work on is, is having faith. No, I, don't, I wouldn't say I don't have faith in other people's ability. I've, um, I definitely see a lot of amazing people on a day-to-day basis that I have so much respect for and see how wonderful that they do their work. But when it comes to something that I'm doing, yeah. I just want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to give someone the opportunity to take over. Um, yeah, and, and tell courage, raising difficult yeah. issues, providing awkward feedback, sharing unpopular yeah. opinions. I feel like I can, in certain circles, do that. <laughs> you know, I can. But I mean, I feel like again, if we're going to talk about the workplace, how many women, and especially Muslim women, feel that they can be really brutally honest in a workplace environment without feeling that they're putting themselves in in the firing line or putting a target on their back, on yeah. their back, so to speak. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I think. So I don't know. I've kind of thrown out a few questions. I don't know what you think. Right, it's true. Um, I've I've also read that article that um, that you're talking about, and I think it is a broad it is a broad um, generalization. But we need to be accepting that there is a reason why that there's no smoke without fire, as it were. I mean, and it is true. Women, I don't know about any other women. I mean, there might be women who actually don't fit in this category, who are just go getters and actually do things as as it comes and they will apply for things and just get on with it as and when but I think it's also personality type I think <clears throat> if you are that conscientious person who actually wants to do things the right way regardless of being a man or woman you will be you will look at that job application and you will think hang on do I have the skill set can I actually do this I think it's also it's this whole kind of I can never say this word self deprecating Self-deprecating, that's the word. I think if you're, that's the kind of person you are, no matter what it is, you will always second-guess yourself. And that's what I think this article is saying. That as women, we're always second-guessing ourselves because we, as a society, put so much pressure on women to do so much. Even, because, like, this is probably a controversial topic and I think it's, it demands a session on its own, but the idea that women... Not only if you go out and do work, that's fine, but when you come back home, you also have to do everything in the house. And it has to be of the same quality as if you were at home all the time. I think that's what it is. So when women are applying, it's just whether you are a homemaker or not, or ho- whatever you, whatever this phrase you want to, um, I don't know what the appropriate phrase is, whatever that word is, if you are of the type where you need to make sure your domestic life is in order and then you go out you're kind of it's that guilt of stepping out of the zone and making sure that you are justified in going stepping out of that zone so you're it's a I don't know what it is it's an unconscious thing and it's not a cultural it's not just a culture it's a across the world it's an issue it's an issue across the world for women it's a gender issue across the world it's not just 
within a, it's not just within Muslim women, it's women in general. And I think that's something that we all need to remember. It's not just in the Muslim societies, across all cultures, across the world, it's historic. I mean, it's a well-known fact that um, women in Western society only just just got their rights to inheritance, land ownership, property, um, the right to work, the right to vote. All of that is a relatively modern concept. Whereas in Islam was brought down to us centuries ago, and these rights have always been driven by Islam from the word go. In a, at a time when women didn't have any of these rights, children didn't have a lot of rights. So women and children were disregarded as pieces of objects, um, only to be seen and not heard, kind of, kind of thing. And girl childs were being buried alive. I mean, that's the cold context in which Islam was um, brought down to us and given to us as a gift to empower women and empower every all of humanity because if you think about it if you empower a woman you are by default empowering a society because she if you empower her teach her she will teach her children she's a mother she's an aunt she's a role model she's someone that um everyone in society looks up to you can't have a society where there are no women um, i definitely do the same thing when applying for jobs i'll go through the skill set and see if I match the skill. If I don't, even if it's just one that I don't match, I don't apply because I feel like if I don't have that skill, I might not get the job. I don't yeah. know. Maybe it's just a pair of rejection. I'm not sure what it is, but I do the same thing. Like I always go through the list of skills and see yeah. if I have the skills. I wonder why that, that is the case. No, I wonder why women, according to this study, for, for Fair enough that this is one specific study that, that they found that women felt the need to have to do that more. Um, is it because we, as a whole, have have not been given the space to recognise our value and that despite not having one small skill, we have a lot of other things to offer yeah. and perhaps not placing enough on our value on that? Um, is it because of this high expectation of perfection? Like you were saying before, Sadaqa, that you know, regardless of whether you're working or whether you're staying at home, that expectation is not supposed to fall either at your workplace or at home, regardless of how much time you're managing to spend in either space. And I definitely feel like in my workplace, um, men can get away with a lot more than women can get away with. I feel like women are pulled up a lot more. You need to kind of go in with you know, a portfolio of justification as to why you deserve to be here and yeah. this is what I've done and that's what I've done and you always need to have to follow things up to make sure that people are aware of what they're doing. Yeah. Whereas the men always seem to be much more casual and comfortable with and, and secure with their position. Yeah. And I don't know if that's something that we're manifesting. I don't know if that, well, I can only speak for myself. I don't know if I am manifesting <laughs> that. Yeah. I don't know how anyone else is feeling. Do you but know I what? don't know if I yeah. am just seeing that because I'm looking for it. You know, sometimes yeah. you can see, you know, if you ha- go out that day and you think, I'm going to spot a yellow car, then all of a sudden all the yellow cars, were, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you're like, wow, everyone's buying yellow cars, what's going on? <laughs> um, and, and I don't know if I'm looking for that and therefore that's what I'm seeing. Um and whether I'm also kind of focusing my mindset on that and that I'm, I'm now justifying myself more than I need to because I think that. I, I don't know. I'd be interested to see, like, what. Um, is it possible that we are kind of like perfection? It's like we want 
I don't know, like if it's ingrained within us or like if society has pushed us to, I don't really know. This is a really interesting topic. I think it deserves a session on its own because I, I, on its own. Yeah. I yeah, because it's it's true because it's um it's something I can when you were you when you were just speaking just now, um some I could hear my boss's um comment one day when he said, Don't think that. Why are you doing that? You're more than capable. Um stop um there was a comment he made and he's just like, Well, you're more than capable of doing this or so don't don't fall in a stereotype don't be don't fall in that stereotype because you clearly are not um i forget i forget what the exact conversation was but it was basically saying don't don't um fall that fall in the trap of that stereotype yeah so he he's what i think that's what made me comfortable is that um depending on which who your employers are but um there are certain employers who will actually say well you don't need to follow this stereotype. We don't. We don't. Um, we don't um, judge people based on their gender. We je- um, it's if you're good at something, you're good at something. Just just accept it. Is what it is. So don't is it like don't a don't. Thing, I think so. I think I don't know what it is. Um, it's this whole because it's, there's so many things about this. It's not only just applying for jobs, jobs, but it's just also. Have you guys read the article where this woman talks about whole the gaslighting? Where women are made to feel that they're inadequate. Then they're very good at what they're doing. They're very competent. But there are people who will actually make them second guess. Make them feel that they're not good enough. So it's known not only are women kind of um, having... Not only women have this sort of mindset that they're not good enough. So they will only apply for certain jobs because they ha- they're looking at... They're actually assessing their... They're self-assessing themselves before they can be assessed by someone else. An interviewer. Yeah. So it's the other the other side is when you're actually in the job, there's certain individuals who will um, make you feel that you're inadequate despite you doing your job, doing it correctly. Nothing wrong with what you're doing, but they will make you feel inadequate. Do you know what I mean? And it's and to be honest, it's not only men who do this. It's women do that to women. That's intentional, though, isn't it? That's that's somebody intentionally yeah. trying to. That's. Yeah, I just wonder whether there's more of a subconscious thing that people need to tackle. To be honest, some people do that naturally. It's 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 their innate. They they make people second guess. It's part of their thing. They they make people feel as if they're inadequate. Do you know what I mean? I I don't know. It's so many factors. It's so interesting. Oh my god, this is an interesting topic in itself. Yeah, it really is. Okay, it's it's it is, but at the same time. Going back to the topic at hand, courage. <laughs> what what this chapter does do is this is a big challenge. It's taking having that courage to face these challenges and overcome them by knowing what your values are, knowing your principles, knowing your visions, and sticking sticking to your convic- convictions, and just being confident in your own self. It starts off um, this whole idea of courage is having the self-belief, having that confidence in yourself to do whatever you need to do. So all of this all of this is actually really useful because bringing in other things that we've read elsewhere, it's so relevant to this because this book is not, is not everything. It's just a starter to get us thinking about other things. And I think that's what makes it so successful because it makes us reminders of other things that we're reading. And I think 
the more I'm reading this, the more I think it's a great book. And the more we discuss it, the more relevant it is to everyday life. Because I, what the author also does is, when we're talking about try, trust and tell, the different types of courage, different ways to kind of overcome it, he uses again, time and time again, he uses Prophet Sallallahu as a role model to encourage other people. For example, the Prophet was always at the front line always getting his hands dirty. He had the courage to proceed despite all the ridicule, the opposition, the physical and mental hardships. I think that's something we need to remember. There was a time when people are going through both physical and mental hardships to kind of get the message across. And in current times, in certain areas in the world, people are still going through physical and mental hardships. War-torn zones and... I think everyone knows what I mean, um, various things that are happening, natural disasters, the current pandemic, there's so much going on. And so the idea of this topic, that this, this character, the idea of courage, how do you get over this? How do you keep yourself motivated and steadfast in one, your own belief? And, the, and not only your own beliefs, but also the trust in Allah. Remember in the previous chapter, the idea was you need to work hard to achieve your goals. But also, at the same time, you need to remember Allah all the time. Remembrance of Allah should be parallel with you working hard. It's not one or the other. Um, and kind of stopping and doing one, then stopping, then doing the other, stopping. It's both of them in parallel. I think that's something... I think it's a good reminder for me when I'm saying this out loud. It's always a good reminder. It's that whatever we do in this world, it should be in parallel. Our thoughts should be in parallel of how are we doing this to please Allah? How is how are we in this conversation, for example, making it completely 100% relevant? How is this helping us in the hereafter, talking about this? What good is this conversation if it's not going to help us? You know what I mean? I feel this is a good conversation because it's reminding us that how relevant these topics are, how relevant this idea, this concept is in our working lives, but at the same time, as this book is very successful in doing, it's also reminding us of, all, of our spiritual responsibilities and spiritual aspirations. And rem- that's a great reminder because it's not one or the other, it's both. We're not working just for the deen, it's, we're also working for the dunya. So everything we're doing in this life, has to, the ultimate purpose is for Allah's um, pleasure, is to gain um, a place in paradise, is to do the best we can with what we have. And it's always a continuous improvement. I think that's what I love about this book and what this whole concept of the book club and Pastor Mike's is, 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 yes, we are working, but what is the point of all this working if we are neglecting the ultimate purpose in life? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, you touched on so many ideas. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Message it says, um, he began by asking them 
um, if I were to tell you that an army was advancing to attack you from beyond this mountain, would you believe me? And he was essentially uh, gauging the um, views of the crowd and establishing his credibility before giving his message. So he kind of had a very clear understanding of his value and that people valued him um, as a truthful person. And he's using that as his kind of grounding for, for building on his courage and that's how he then managed to kind of step in and tell them and relay this message that is completely unfamiliar to who they are. Um, I, I really love that you mentioned as well that the book club um, because I think another one of the key things and I'm just kind of really making it very explicitly linking exactly what you just said to the, to the book yeah. um, that it covers all of these points and the idea of the book club and thinking about um, actually, I'm going to get onto that in a second. <laughs> but the idea that um, seeing the courage of others and thinking about the wider impacts of our actions and yeah. how um, it may impact others, and what is the purpose of what we're doing, and how is and how are we going to be answerable for that in, on the day of judgment when Allah asks us, you know, what did we do? And that our courage is not just for ourselves in order for us to overcome our obstacles, but it is also a guiding light for others that yeah. when the Prophet demonstrated his inner strength, he gave his companions courage and that when we do things like this, when we have a book club, when we see other sisters um, being successful and being courageous and stepping into positions that otherwise would have been unheard of, even though they, they've done job description at the beginning, maybe didn't have all of those, <laughs> yeah. you know, all of those skills that they went for it anyway, that it then opens the door for everybody else, and then that in turn makes the all a lot stronger, that makes people a lot stronger, that empowers women yeah. to do those things, and, and then that there's a, there's a wider positive impact to that one act of courage that maybe didn't have a massive impact your life or maybe it did hopefully it did but it may have had a kind of domino effect that would have impacted a, a lot of other people um and yeah i really love the idea of thinking about our life as as the things that we do practically in our day-to-day -day life and thinking about our successes and thinking about overcoming our own personal kind of obstacles and being courageous and being trustworthy and being you know have, developing that ability to talk but that ultimately yeah. it is about worshiping Allah and how can we make just our daily day-to-day -day things and I've, I've found recently I've, I've tried to do this um, and it's really difficult but that is a real strong act of worship is just maybe implementing the sunnah so just something as simple as I'm washing my hands but how can I do this in the way that the Prophet washed his hands yeah. now you're doing something that is as mundane as, and everyone hopefully at the moment is washing their hands about <laughs> three gazillion times a day right? how can we turn that into three gazillion acts of worship yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know that's, well, let's say make the most out of that yeah. and do it in the way that the Prophet would have done or sitting down or, you know, eating things in a certain order or, you know, your, our commute to work. How can we turn our commute, this long drive, yeah. stuck in traffic, how can we turn that into an act of worship? And even that is, is the first um, basic form of courage that they've got on here is the trying, making, taking the initiative to just make a small change to step into something that you've not done before. And I think changing your small daily habits is sometimes much harder than yeah. doing, you know, it's breaking those habits, breaking those kind of routines that you've already got um, is sometimes the, the act of courage. So I was just kind of grounding everything that you said in, in the book. Um, 
and you know it does it does cover that and even it, it talks about um the prophet sallallahu um uh when he was being attacked and abused and abused by his own uncle yeah and again it comes back to the things that are close to home and sometimes the things that we need to be most courageous about being open-minded and being willing to change our own views you have yeah. to be really courageous to put your pride aside um are recognizing that perhaps you could incorporate more of Allah in your daily actions is a kind of hard reality to face. So having difficult conversations with your family sometimes mm. is, is, is more terrifying than, yeah. uh, than you know, talking to a stranger on the street. And then, yeah, I, I think that encompasses all of those points, really. And that's, this chapter is a fairly small one, but I think one of the most powerful ones so far. I think so. Um, what did you think, Hannah? You guys have covered all the points to be honest, especially yes, when what you said about like worshiping Allah. Because at the end of the day, Allah said in the Quran that He didn't create human engines to do anything but to and worship Him. And like we have to think, how can we turn everything into an act of worship, even if it's like a matter of thing? For example, you are a teacher, so you're teaching a kid like sincerely that's an act of worship like for the sake of Allah for like furthering their future or like doctors how they look after us like that's an act of worship isn't it so yeah and you have to have the courage to like apply for those kind of things and call for and also um just continuing from everything we've been saying um this chapter pretty much ends with the idea that um leader has to be a role model so when you're asked that the whole idea of being courageous is that um you need to um be a role model so you can't just expect other people to do things that you don't that you wouldn't do yourself so the idea of a leader is someone who's hands-on um and does what he he or she expects of others so if you want someone to do something you need to be a credible person to know that the people are who you're asking um, to do a um, a certain task. Um, they know that it's something you would do yourself. You're not asking them to do something that they they're not willing to do. So the prophet uh, again, this is all back down to using the prophet as an example, where he was he he literally it, there was an example in this book where um, it was the middle of the night and suddenly there was a really loud noise, and everyone pretty much ran out what they did the unfortunate thing for many of them is that um the pro they they found that the prophet was there the noise was basically the horse had been rattled and was kind of scared about something and they all found that the our prophet was the first one on site and he was actually calming the horse down he was saying duas and he was just kind of reassuring it um that everything's okay there's nothing wrong you you're going to be fine so he's actually taking care he's He's the first person on site. He was just literally really hands-on. The idea of um, that's what is courageous, being the first one on the battlefield. There was another example used in the chapter. He'd be the first person on the front line. And sometimes there are certain parts, some of the battles, where all his companions were behind him. He was the one kind of doing whatever it is that you do on a war zone. I'm not going to know, I'm not going to pretend I know what, the phrases and words and all of that is but he was the one on the front line he was actually 
There are times when he was the one um, defending his companions rather than the companion. We all know about the companions um, protecting, going around and pr protecting him physically as a physical barrier. Um, but there are times where he was also that. So it was just, it's 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 a good example of knowing the right balance and knowing when to step up and knowing when to allow others to step up. Um, I think that takes a lot of courage. Um, a couple of quotes to end at the end of this chapter. One was Churchill, where Churchill says about um, courage, specifically courage, success is not final, failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. And I think going back to what, what Hannah was saying about us women being um, perfectionists, we need to accept that not everything is going to be perfect. And I think that going back to the article where that you mentioned, Yasmin, that I think that's what we do. Um, I think both of you have basically said this point because we are naturally trying to be perfect at everything and society expects, trains women, I don't know, intentionally or unintentionally, it's a subconscious thing, where when you talk about little girls, you, you expect them to be pretty little girl, pretty little princesses, perfect little kind of, to be perfect. The target is to kind of be perfect, where you allow the boys to make mistakes and fall over and hurt themselves, cut themselves. That's, oh, the, the boys have just been boys. But girls, they need to be in a little corner and neat and tidy and kind of perfect. I think it's that natural thing. I think we just kind of have this fear of failing. Whereas Churchill here clearly says, well, you know, failure is part of life. You're just going to have to... It's not the failure that's the point. It's how you overcome that failure, what you do about it that makes you courageous, that makes you stand up, that makes the difference. And the other, and that also links on to um, Ambassador Russell, who, how he described Mandela, and um, for, um, forgive my pronunciation of the Kantian sense of the word of word courage and I think that's also quite important. Courage was the perfect middle between the pass passivity of the coward and the recklessness of the populist. Courage was the ability to rise against evil in thoughtful ways. So what I got from this is that it's not only the ability to rise against evil but in a thoughtful way. So you're not just being reckless and just kind of going gung-ho in your principles. You're actually having it just taking a step back, take a deep breath, chill, well, chill. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had to get that in there. But anyway, but do you, know you know what I mean? Just kind of having that reasoned approach, not just doing things just for the sake of it, but knowing what you're doing, knowing your purpose, and just kind of leading by example. I think what well, in the book that really links to that as well, but um, that people measure... Uh, I can't remember what it was. Um, when we were talking about people thinking success is the be all end all, and people thinking success is just doing you know, like, oh, what was that called? It was such a good one. It's one of my favourites that we've come across so far. Um, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have mentioned it. Now that, now that I've mentioned it, I have to, <laughs> <laughs> I have to find it. Um, here it is. Okay. Um, 
the lessons that we learned from those who fled for uh, from fled was revealed in Surah Tawbah, reminding us of the need to both take preparation and rely on God, and to not assume victory solely based on dunawi, which is the physical world and numeric considerations, but to invoke the metaphysical world and seek the help of God as only He can grant success. So the idea, even of success, has to change, um, and it links to what you said. Like if we no longer think that, oh, you know. What my goal is to be is to be and this amount of money to have this position to have this many kids and marry blah, blah blah blah. Then for us, that's like a final. That's like the the, the goal, isn't it? Yeah. That's, and, and that's like the end of what we're trying to achieve. But actually, this idea of success not being final, but success is a continuing thing that happens on a day to day basis. That can happen if you're just washing your hands using the sunnah. That that was a successful thing that you did in a day, and that is a continuing thing. Um, and then all of a sudden, the idea to fail doesn't become so catastrophic because yes. it's not a life changing. It's just something that you know. Well, I failed today. I will again get back to my hopefully success streak <laughs> in the next day. And actually, it's just the courage to recognise that mm-hmm. that is the importance to continue having those minor successes on a day to day basis that yeah. hopefully build up to something that is successful, but that we leave that idea of success in Allah's hands that only Allah has the true answer to what um, success means in our lives that we can you know and I think that also is a really nice way of thinking about mental health as well I think some people and again I can only talk from my personal experience and blah 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 that 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 overwhelming kind of I will never be able to achieve I will never be able to attain I will never be enough Mm. Um, you know, can sometimes be very overwhelming and make you know, a very overwhelming place because we have, especially these days of social media, this really massive view of what success feels like and how quickly overnight we get yeah. this major. But that actually, none of that is true success because it's not success that is blessed by yeah. Allah. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't yeah. know. Allah is the one who knows. But that it's not for us to place. Do you see what I mean? It's, yeah. a, it's a very complicated idea that kind of what is. What is even success? Yeah. According to who? Every single person, if you ask them, what does it mean to be successful, will have a very different answer. Yeah. So shifting that view to what would Allah perceive success to be for me instead of what do I think success means yeah. might make us yeah more courageous in that sense on a day-to-day basis to say, yeah. well, I'm going to have a go and if Allah wants it to be good for me. And then he will bless it. And if not, then it was not a failure. It was nothing. I missed out on nothing because it was never meant to be for me. There's a quote that one of um, our performance coach at work, she said, there's no such thing as failure, only only learning or something. I forget what it is, but it's basically picking up on what you just said. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, as a teacher, there's quite, you kind of throw those mottos out all the time, don't yeah. you? Like, guys, there's no point in failure, don't worry about failure, it's a mistake, you'll grow from it, I can give you feedback, you'll do it perfect next time. That will just be, te- failure is a temporary thing at that point, yeah. if you have the courage to accept that it was something that you've done wrong, accept that there's a kind of shift in mindset that you need to do, and then move on from it. It doesn't yeah. need to be something that needs to be dwelled on, it's... There's not there's no such thing as a human being that, that didn't fail. Yeah. And and subhanAllah, the Prophet Muhammad being the perfect example of a leader, there are examples of he himself um uh, you know, making missteps and having and misjudging situations and having to recorrect it and, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala correcting him and telling yeah. him this is the true guidance. And so who are we to 
tech failure, or not that the prophet failed, I mean, yeah, yeah. he didn't, um, and that's not what I'm trying to say, but that we are only human in our ability to judge, and that ultimately success comes from Allah, and the reason why the prophet was so perfect is because he was given that enlightenment from Allah, who guided him in every step of his life, I think. Yeah, I think because this is going online, we need to have that disclaimer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hannah, do you have anything that you your thoughts on this? I'm not really too I think you guys have covered everything. Well, your point, everyone's point of view is valuable. I mean, if you've got any thoughts that. You can add. Yeah, if I not. think like so the definition of success differs from person to person. Yeah. What is success in my eyes is completely different to what is success in my friend's eye. Yeah. Like it's completely different because for me, like being a good human, being a good person, is like the main thing. Like it's the most successful thing that I can ever achieve or be. But for someone else, it might be like. Having cars, having house, having like millions of dollars or pounds. Yeah. And every, yeah, and it's true, everyone's got their own thing and it's okay. One's not overly, I think it's a reminder for me as well because we, we are very, e- we easily judge people <laughs> and we need to remind ourselves, well, hang on, um, everyone's got their own capacity and that's what Allah's enabled them. He doesn't give people more than they deserve or they can take not deserve i think deserve is the wrong word allah only gives people what they he believes they can take at that moment in time and yeah i think that's that's the key thing yeah, to remember definitely. um because like you can have like millions of dollars and if you like do charity and help out others then there's nothing wrong with like having lots of money or wanting lots of money yeah. but then if you don't it's not like but if you waste it like for wars and stuff like politicians do then yeah then there's a problem with having all those money <laughs> i think it comes back to what you said about the first chapter that everyone has a place in the clock of humanity we're going to stick with that analogy <laughs> <laughs> oh my days yeah carry on the go time, for it <laughs> time is ticking and everyone's got their place and yeah. actually we there's place for wealthy people there's place for poor people there's place for intellectuals there's place for artists there's place for every reason there's place for poets there's place for linguists there's a place this this is all a part of a fully functioning society and a fully yeah. functioning coherent well, well-oiled machine, and so people are allowed to have um, and should be and should be given the freedom to have their own vision, to have their own purpose, to have their own idea of success, um, as long as um, it is within kind of the values and the boundaries that kind of keep us all together and keep us all going and, and yeah. focusing on Allah. In this chapter, the case study is. Sharif H. Bunner, um, he's the co-founder of Awakening Worldwide, which is a media company that seeks out talent in music, publications and artwork. Um, and just reading about what they were about, they basically went against the grain of cult- the cultural mindset. So it's about setting trends and being innovative. Um, so they basically set up a music company 
um, you know, music production company where you have these Muslim artists um, doing nasheeds and it was going against the community and um, what they thought was appropriate in Islam. They What the um, Sharif Bana and his um, co-founders did was they created a bubble, this concept. How do we um, harness the talent in our community for these the music and the arts, but do it in a way that... Um, that complements our Islamic principles. How can we how can we do it within the within the constraints of our um, Islamic principles? And I think that's what makes them um, courageous leaders in that sense. Um, um, it, and he, the quote from Steve Jobs: um, "People don't know what they want until we've shown them." Um, so awakening worldwide, they basically set the trends in the Islamic world for music. Um, so they they are an example of um, in spite of the doubt of the community, they've entered this uncharted territory of the music industry in the Islam while keeping it as Islamic as they can. They're breaking boundaries and inspiring people um, in the faith. So it's like faith based inspired change rather than change for the sake of change and breaking boundaries for the base sake of breaking breaking boundaries um this is basically going back to the idea we were talking about earlier about how do we do how do we make everything that we do in our daily lives um a way of pleasing Allah yeah so I think so that's what I take from this case study that they're using their skill sets their um strengths and finding a way to make it so that they are pleasing Allah in what they're doing um it's what there's another quote in here which basically says, vision can only take you so far, but courage is required to realise any dream, to challenge, to defy, to lead. And I think um, it's a quality... Um, what the, what I like about this case study is that it picks up on the idea of entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs have to be, by default, courageous because they have to challenge not only society's... Um, perceptions and constraints they have to challenge their own perceptions which I think um, both of you picked up and it's about challenging and overcoming assumptions and opinions because it might there may be a lot of naysayers saying oh you're not going to do this you're going to fail um, and I think it's a known it's a known fact that within the first two years majority of businesses fail and only a few last and grow beyond that two year two year um, period and the idea that entrepreneur and um, this awakening case study they've gone beyond the, they're going out of the comfort zone and they're expressing their own ideas and feelings and challenging challenging other people to rethink their own perception so they're challenging ideas they're challenging norms but they're trying to do it in a way that doesn't conflict with their Islamic principles from what they understand so they're trying to do what they need to do, but at the same time, do it in a way that is pleasing to Allah. And all of this in my little monologue, um, rem what I said before I wanted to come back to now, is this idea of bringing it back to Muslim sisters. Yeah, The idea that this, what, what it reminded me of, and the fact that they mentioned entrepreneurs, there are many, many Muslim sisters who are entrepreneurs. There are sisters who decide to work and those sisters who decide um, 
to leave work after their marriage and after children come. And there are sisters who are homeschool and there are sisters who work from home who have started their own businesses. They are entrepreneurs, they are philanthropists. And there are sisters who are in the work field as employees. They may be the only ones of A, B or C in their field. They might be the only ones representing the Muslim community, the ethnic um, community, whatever. And I think that's something that requires a lot of courage and we need to remember that. We need to celebrate that. And I think, in a way, that's what Pastor Mike is all about. It's about celebrating all these sisters, in a way. And I think this chapter reminded me of that and the fact that he, I'm glad he mentioned it. And in a way, when I'm reading this, I'm reading this also through the eyes of how Pastor Mike was developed and I can see, um, I don't know um, about you guys, but I'm trying to think how I am in this organisation when I've set this up and getting the volunteer team together and I'm just thinking, oh, actually, I need to be a bit more like this. I need to improve myself in this point. Oh, I should have done this better. Oh, that's why this has happened. Oh, you know <laughs> what I mean? I think I think everyone who reads the book I don't know, I keep saying you will identify something in yourself in this book. You'll find things that you need to improve on yourself and you all will also see, um, I don't know you, um, I don't know about anyone else, but um, I've actually seen these characteristics in people around me and I think, oh my God, they are great leaders <laughs> because they've got this. Oh, yes. No wonder they're so great. No wonder I want to um, follow them or, do you know what I mean? I this book is so great. I mean, it's not, um, and I'm not just, I'm not being paid for this, by the way. I am. I, I get sponsored. no loyalties. I get no loyalties. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? This, it's an amazing book. And I think the more we talk about it, the more it becomes apparent how relevant and um, great this is. And the tips at the end of this chapter are great as well. And um, before, I just want to end my monologue here and invite both of you guys to kind of share your thoughts on this <laughs> before I put any more people to sleep. <laughs> no, no one, no one is falling asleep, I, I promise you. Um, I just really want to end it, for me, on a really positive note. And I really want this, this idea of courage. And I think it's really lovely that you mentioned so many different women that are doing so many different things. But I do, I do want to make it clear or, or kind of put forward the idea that um, courage means, just as success means a different thing for every person, courage means a different thing for every person yeah. and um, everyone is, is, is uncomfortable with something, everyone yeah. is struggling with something, some people are excellent at public speaking, they're very comfortable with that, some people would literally run 300 miles in the opposite direction if you told them you had to speak in front of people I'm definitely that person you know and um I guess I'm talking from kind of personal experience as well when I was training to be a teacher I kind of I knew I had the knowledge there I knew I had the passion there but I have a phobia of talking in front of people and in order for me to get to the professional part of it I had to overcome my personal fear so I was sitting in these kind of feedback sessions 
sessions where they would say, talking a lot about pedagogy and this and that, mm. and you need to question in this way. And, you need to, and I'm sitting there going, I'm just so glad that I stood in front of 30 people and spoke, and teenagers nonetheless, and yeah. nobody, like, you know, nothing happened. I didn't burst into flames, you know, and sometimes <laughs> it can feel like, you know, and, and I think it's really important to just be really compassionate when it comes to um, people overcoming their and sometimes it could be something you do not you cannot comprehend why someone is finding this so difficult why they are so scared to I don't know interact with someone go mm. to the shop or try to speak another language or whatever it is because you might find it comfortable and I think it's I think there's a lot of credit that needs to be given to people out there whoever is listening um, to just the, the, what may seem to other people a small act of courage yeah. on a day-to-day basis, but to you, that is something that you've been working on, like, give yourself credit for that, you know, give Absolutely. yourself a lot of, because those small acts of courage acts to, adds up to, um, you know, feeling ge- a general sense of success, and overall leads to something positive in the end, um, yeah, and I think you mentioned a lot of really women doing like a lot of professional things that women in the past maybe haven't done. But even if it's like a domestic thing, if it's like, you know, some women find having children to be the easiest thing in the world. It's like every every year there's there's another one, mashallah. <laughs> but for some people, they have to really build up to the idea, and they can feel really. Um, because it's everyone always speaks about this being kind of a really natural thing that mm. you know, it's a natural instinct that all women have. And actually, that's not the case. There are a lot of women that don't have that natural instinct. But actually, the idea of having a child is terrifying for them. Yeah. And if they choose not to go down that road, that they should be comfortable. And that's a brave decision as well to make in a society that makes it an expectation. Mm. And to have the courage to say, actually, this is not what I want, and I'm going to stick to that. Or I feel uncomfortable, but I'm going to try for the sake of family, whatever yeah. it is. And making those small personal decisions of courage are, are powerful moments and celebrated in any way that it, that it can be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just kind of wanted to put that on there, really. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> that was my monologue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really did. <laughs> yeah, what are your thoughts, Ella? I think courage also means being um, compassionate to your own self, like giving yourself the time to get over your fears and not like comparing yourself to others. Like, oh, he, she or he did overcome this fear in two minutes, but I'll have to overcome my fears in two minutes. Yeah. No, give yourself time, be compassionate to yourself. I think that's courageous as well, being compassionate to yourself. And obviously, being kind to others, that's like a given. Yeah, and um, just to thank you both for coming. And I would like to end this session by saying... Um, some of the tips at the end, there's so many tips, um, useful tips. I'm not going to go over every one of them. But the one that really sticks out is the idea of positive psychology. The idea of having these affirmations and positive self-talks to give you, yourself the motivation and the courage to overcome your fears. Because our worst critic and our worst enemy is us, is the self. It's our, It's in our heads. It's us talking ourselves out of doing various different things or not applying for that job or not um, getting married or not it's it's all in ourselves whatever it is um and 
we just need to kind of get out of this kind of negative mindset and take on these challenging things and get out of our comfort zones, build our convictions and core values and understand what it is we are all about and change the language we use. So change the negatives into positives. Something that one of my um, the peers in my, on my master's course of 10 years ago, what she said, I now finally 10 years later understand this idea of turning the buts into yes and. I finally understand. Um, I finally understand. So if you're listening out there, Amy, I finally get you. I'm a bit, I'm a slow burner, but one day I'll get there. And just to let you guys know, in two weeks time, our next session on Wednesday, we'll be covering chapters five, holistic justice, and chapter six, uh, what's chapter six? Chapter six is pragmatic decisiveness. And I'd like to take, to entice you to join us next time, a quote that is used of Martin Luther King, where he says, injustice anywhere, is a threat to injustice everywhere. We are caught in an un, in, we're caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. So that is about holistic justice. So we hope that you can join us next time. If you guys want to join the actual book club session and join us in, in this session, um, send your um queries to admin at passmicsis.com. Um if you've read the book and you have any questions or you've got any comments, please send them through here and if you've got questions we can answer them here um next time. Um and on that note I'm just gonna say thank you very much. This has been an epic two hour session and thank you for your patience and listening to us. I hope you're still awake. Zarkala and shall I see you next time.